All right. What up, Anne? What up, Em? How are you? Doing good. Super excited about today. We have a special guest who we love and um, got to spend some amazing time with this summer and just has held a special place in our hearts since then, wouldn't you say? I would say. And Jamie, you don't know this, but we've done a few podcasts on what we're about to share already today. So let's just dive right in. Are you cool with that, yeah. guys? Okay. All right. So I want to go ahead and let our listeners know a little bit about why we invited Jamie on today. Emily's going to share a little bit about who Jamie is, but we know the women listening to this podcast, you are similar to Emily, Jamie, and I. You're probably a professional woman. You might be in your 40s. You might be married. You might give a lot of yourself to a lot of different things and a lot of different people, and you truly care about others. You are one of those supporting women, but there comes a time where you start to feel not like yourself, or you might feel burnt out, or you might feel exhausted, or you're just like, how am I going through life? And maybe I just, I don't feel as excited or whatever it is that feeling is that you have. And Emily and I are so fortunate to have met Jamie and her amazing team. And it helped us a lot last year to become more of a leader in our own life and leader in other women's lives. And we just Our hope for today is that after you listen to this, that you can have some nuggets or some takeaways that if you too have kind of felt like you maybe are going through the motions or you're like, I don't know how to get through this problem or feel a little bit more zest for life, that you too are going to take charge, be a leader, understand that when you do that, you're going to help so many other women in the process. And so that's my hope for today. Emily, to you. Yeah. Yeah, and who are we talking about? Miss Jamie Cochran from Echelon Front, and they have a leadership platform team. Most women out there, especially in our arena, know about extreme ownership. Um, And so she has joined Leif and Jocko Willink as the first employee at Echelon Front in 2014. She quickly expanded her role as director of operations and was named chief operating officer in early 2001, but namely this year, the Women's Assembly, that was our very first one, and I love that because she has taken off with the spin geared towards women and moms. She's a mom herself and also a military wife, former Navy SEAL as her husband. They used to work together, and then now he's off doing his own thing. Has an amazing singing voice, and I was (laughs) really, really taken aback this summer with her ability to always taking feedback and making things better. I'm not sure that there's anybody I've ever met who like pivots and change based off what the people want and say. (laughs) And since this is a women's podcast, right down to feminine products that I needed in Washington and there was no closed door. So, you know, (laughs) all things awesome. And we're just going to go ahead and throw it on over to you, Jamie. Awesome ladies. Super excited to be here with you guys. Obviously got a chance to meet you in, in more of an intimate setting at the council and then again at the Women's Assembly and super fun to be a part of what you guys are doing and helping women and, and people in general just get healthier, get fitter, be better leaders in their lives. It's, it's awesome. So stoked to be here today with you guys. Thank you. Yes. All right, Jamie, I know Em just shared a little bit of your backstory, but could we hear a little bit more about your life as Jamie, as a mom, as a wife, as a professional? Can you kind of give us a little backstory? 
Yeah, so I ended up growing up in Washington and then I went to school in Los Angeles. And that's really where my life took a little bit of a pivot compared to what I think I thought my life was going to be uh, because I met my husband who I ended up sort of growing up around. His little sister is my best friend. So there was this connection for a long time, but we didn't go to school together. He was just older than me that I didn't really know him growing up. And meanwhile, he's stationed in San Diego. So he would be in the area and you, you can't see on the audio, but I'm, I'm using the air quotes because he would make himself kind of in the area and be around. And we ended up getting married shortly after dating. It was a six month span between our first date and our wedding. We got married on a Friday and it was Monday morning. He checked in for BUDS, which is a basic underwater demolition seal training that the seals go through. So I got a very quick and ramp, you know, rapid introduction to the Navy, to the military, and now this new life as a military spouse. So my plans for what I wanted after graduating college really took a pivot because now I was in the support role with my husband going through the training that he was going through. So a lot of the things that I had planned kind of got put on the back burner and I picked up an, an odd job at a hedge fund, just kind of a random opportunity. And then ultimately ended up in higher education a couple years later where I loved my job and I loved what I did. I worked at San Diego State University, had a really cool opportunity to grow as a young leader, to manage a team, to advise a student board. And I just had so much passion for what I was doing on campus and thought, that's where I'd end. This is this is the end here. We're going to end here. I'm going to retire in this role. I loved what I got to do working with students, programming events, big events, concerts, small events, like open mic nights, things like that. I just had such a passion for what I was doing on campus. And then in true form, my husband's plans changed again. So we uprooted our family and we moved to Boston. And I was now looking for a new opportunity. And as I was thinking you know, keeping an open mind, what's the next step? Maybe I go back to higher education. Maybe I look elsewhere. This opportunity with Leif and Jocko sort of showed up at my front door because Leif was in Boston and he came to dinner one night and it was at dinner that he's telling us about Echelon Front and a business that Jocko and Leif were building, the book that they were writing. And it just piqued my interest and I got really excited about what he was doing. And I just that night threw my hat in the ring and I sent him a resume and I said, I don't know what kind of help you need. I don't know if I'm what you're even looking for, but I loved what you had to say about this company and I'm looking for my next mission. And if there's an opportunity, I'm here. Uh, and, and about a month later, he hired me as a part-time part-time admin assistant, which was pretty uh, several steps back in my career process. But because I believed in the mission and and Leif and Jocko and what they were teaching, I took it with this open mind and kind of gave myself a timeline. Let's see where this goes. Let's give this a year. Let's put everything into this and then see what happens. And it was a year later that the book was released and everything changed. And I'm coming up on 10 years at Echelon Front with the incredible opportunity to be a part of this organization and to learn and grow myself as a leader at home with my kids and uh, certainly in business. I was going to say that's like a beautiful transition because when we, Emily and I had shared back in 2017, Jamie, Extreme Ownership was one of our first like self-help books that we had ever read. We read it at the gym with our trainers because we were like, we need some ownership around here. However, what I didn't realize is that I needed ownership. And it's not till you're in it and you're reading it that it's so cool that you're like, wow, this is the exact lesson that I needed to learn. I can't believe it all just makes so much sense. And I hope other women will embrace this idea of extreme ownership. But, you know, that word extreme can sometimes 
scare people. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about like your most beautiful definition of what is extreme ownership? Simply put, it's not making excuses. Our human nature, our tendency is to make excuses, to put up those defensive walls, to point fingers, to cast blame. We do that to protect ourselves. Our ego steps in and says, no, no, you're right. Prove that you're right. No, that person is wrong. Um, they don't, the feedback they're giving you isn't accurate. And we put up these defensive walls. And so we start to make all sorts of excuses in our life for the things that we're dealing with, challenges and problems. And we put up the this wall of excuses and extreme ownership is really about not allowing those excuses to come into your mindset, having and cultivating this mindset that when I approach a problem, when I approach a challenge, I understand that I had a hand in creating that. It, it, this isn't, you know, to say that true victims aren't victims, but this is a, to say, hey, I have control. I have power. I can actually look at a problem, whether I had a direct hand in causing that problem or if things that I did contributed to that problem. Either way, I have a piece of ownership in that. And not only can I own the problem, I can own the next step and how we solve that problem. And it's a it's a really hard hurdle for a lot of people to get over because it's a lot more comfortable to sit in the excuse bucket. And the second we get out of that, we start to see that we have full control and full freedom to actually solve the problems that we're facing. Yeah, I love that. You know, I want to go back a little bit to what you said. You believed in the mission, you believed in the movement. And it's funny because the job title that you were given from the get-go could have tripped a lot of people up. And you guys talk a lot about that. It's not about the title, you know, and I I love that quote, luck is kind of where preparation meets opportunity. You knew this could grow into so much more and and not knowing here you are years later, chief operating officer. And I've heard you and, and Jocko, you know, talk in the same room and he like fully trusts you with everything. And I've heard you speak and it's been amazing. Potentially that could have been a huge barrier had you looked at it from the sense of like, well, this job title is beneath where, where I'm at, you know? So, you know, I'm curious, what do you feel like is the biggest barrier for women to embrace in this life or like that they're facing? Yeah, I think it's our own, not just women, I think the barrier that everyone is facing at every single second of the day is our ego. At every step, I could have stepped into this role and said, you know what, this role is beneath me. I'm doing, I'm booking travel, I'm managing calendars. And I could have looked back in my previous role where I had, you know, four part, I had full, four full-time staff. I had a full, full-time assistant. I had a student board and grad assistants and I had all these things and I was running a team and I was managing all these different components within my role, I could have looked at that and said, this is beneath me. But instead, I've always been of the mindset that you can't deny performance. And that if you perform and you keep your ego in check, opportunities come to you. And that's always been the case for me. And so with this opportunity, I knew it was something I wanted to be a part of. So I approached that with this mindset of keep the ego in check. Because our ego is what gets in the way for everything. Every decision, every friction uh, point we have with people, every argument we get into, every moment where we don't feel good enough or we question ourselves, it's all it's all our ego at play, whether too much ego or not enough. And so I think what we have to do is be really good, get really good at subordinating that ego and controlling our ego. And that's what I did at Echelon Front was I put that ego in check and said, let's focus on the mission. Let's focus on performance. And if you do those two things, opportunities will come your way for sure. 
Man, so good. If I'm looking back at this last year, every single problem I've had has been due to my own ego. Yep. So good. You'd be amazed. We always say ego is the number one killer in business and life. Every problem, every single problem someone brings us or every problem that I face, every challenge that I face, I can always point to, ah, my ego is involved here. My ego is convincing me right now that it's important for me to be right, that it's important for me to win this argument, that it's important for me to have a, a strong opinion about this. Whatever it is, it's our ego that's keeping us from seeing the truth of how to actually solve the problems we're facing. And if we put it in a box, we can actually see much more clearly what, what we need to do to actually solve this problem or to repair or fix these relationships. Yeah, so good. Okay, I had a lot of highlights from the Women's Assembly and the muster and the council. You guys, we went all in last year. We went to, <laughs> we went to three events in one year. But like this idea of overcoming barriers, you did speak on it at the assembly. You did it again in the muster. And it was I was like taking notes like rapidly and I was like I can't get enough. I can't get enough because my brain was thinking I'm like women need to hear this. And I remember you saying a few different of ones of the barriers. One of them you guys talked about was like your problem's not unique where, you know, sometimes that might be to somebody like triggering, right? Like your problem's not unique. And I was like, this is so true. Cause we're like, like the way that we believe is that if it's possible for one, it's possible for all. Meaning somebody has already solved that problem. It might not look the same. Your environment might not be the same. Your relationship's not the same, but somebody has experienced it before. They're equipped to kind of help you work through it. When we think about those those barriers, like that one in particular, could you expand on that a little bit for us when you guys are like, your problem's not unique, but how can you use this idea of extreme ownership to move forward with it? Yeah, totally. I'm always a little careful with that barrier because there are people that see that as a little bit of that trigger. Hey, you're telling me that my unique problems, these things that I'm facing are not unique. Like it feels like an, a little bit of an attack. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying is, that when I talk to leaders and I get the opportunity in the 10 years I've been here to talk to hundreds, if not thousands of different leaders and the difficulties and challenges that they're facing, I'm telling you, the core components of those problems are not unique. They're based in frictional relationships. They're based in overcomplicated plans. They're based in too much emotion and not being able to detach so you can see the priorities in front of you. They're based in not allowing their team to lead, micromanaging, being too hands-on. All of those things are not unique to what leaders are facing. Now, the severity of the challenges that you're facing, yes, that changes. And there's definitely a, a tiered structure there as far as what you're facing. My point in saying your problems aren't unique is that, hey, I know that what you're dealing with fits within one of those buckets. And what we have is the laws of combat that helps us actually address and solve those problems. So your problems and my problems might look different, but the overall core component, the base foundation of that problem is not that not that unique. It's not that different than what I'm facing. So that's where we use that. I think another way that we use that is oftentimes people have this the initial reaction to the combat leadership component of extreme ownership. You mentioned it earlier, that extreme word that we use. Sometimes that puts up an initial barrier for people to be like, oh, this isn't for me. This is military. This is combat. This isn't really going to help me with my problems. And that's where that barrier comes from. Like, hey, the problems you're facing, they're not that unique. And if they work in the harshest of environments in combat, they can certainly help you in your day to day solve the problems that you're dealing with. Yeah. 
And honestly, to your point, when I first started reading Extreme Ownership, I was like, this is wild that it's resonating with me. I just had a baby. I have not, nothing to do with the military, but it was like reading between those lines. I was like, this is life. This feels like I should do this, you know? I think we were surprised too. The initial outpouring of support for EO was actually, I think, heavily anchored in women. We had a lot of business leaders for sure, but I think we were a little surprised at like, to your point, the stay-at-home moms, the, the working moms, the young, young leaders, male and female that were coming out of the gate being like, I need to take ownership of my life. We didn't realize this book was written for business leaders. What we yeah. didn't anticipate and has been just an absolute honor is the comments and feedback we get where people are like, I stopped drinking. I repaired the relationship with my sister. I've gotten healthier. I am a better father. I'm a better mother. I'm a better friend. I'm a better business owner. Those things that came from the book have been just a complete surprise and continue to be just such a big part of what our mission is. That that impact is what we want to see. Well, and like, I didn't want to bring up and cause any triggers with the unique problem. But what I love about it is, and I think about 2017, and that's when we were in the thick of IVF. We had done four egg retrievals, failure after failure, and I was having pity parties left and right. And I explained this in a way that it's like, I wasn't jealous of other women having like children. I was frustrated that my body wouldn't do the job it was like born to do. And I was like working with this. But when I started reading Extreme Ownership, I was like, listen, I was like this problem that you're facing, other women have gone through it and you could get vulnerable enough to just get out there and be like, I need some mentorship through this. I need some extra community. I need someone that I can talk with that has had a shared experience. And that's what I love about your problem isn't unique, not like downgrading the severity of it, but more like, hey, there's somebody out there you can reach out to. And if you let that ego down and you go and you just ask for support with, especially with women, like there's other women that feel exhausted and burnt out and that are screaming at their kids and they don't want to scream at their kids. But if we let our ego down and be like, I just need some help, we could all just feel so much more at peace. And that's why I love that barrier. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. So thank you, Jamie. You hit on something really important that I think is important to mention here. And your story is such a good example of that. When we talk about ownership, too often people feel like, well, and this is another barrier we discuss. Hey, bad things are happening to me and these things are out of my control. Your scenario, your situation, that's out of your control. There's only certain things that you can control in that situation. So the real power of ownership, and I think the reason I want to hit on this, is that what you showed was that, hey, I can actually take ownership. I can take ownership of my attitude, of how I respond to the situation, of what I do to get support and help and guidance, of the outreach I have for other people going through this scenario. It's not to say that, hey, when bad things happen, you put your hands up. You actually say, no, there's a lot more here that I can control. And that's the power that we're talking about with ownership. And I think you 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 explained that really well, Angie. Thank you. Yeah, I think so too. And like, I think that was the most powerful thing in the book for me. You reach this place in your life where you start to experience a lot of guilt and shame for the things that have gone wrong. And you're no longer mad anymore. And you're like, man, maybe I should have done it this way or that way. And then you experience more shame for like not thinking that in the moment, which will lead me into detachment. But I think when I started reading this book, it was just like, got me really excited. Just what you're saying, like, well, if I'm the problem, then I can also get really excited about what I can control and I can be a solution. You know, either you go back and apologize for for your mistakes. Like I tell my kids all the time, I'm not going to be perfect, but I will always be sorry. 
hopefully I get sorry sooner than later, you know, but, and then moving forward, doing it differently and trying to get better and better as I go. For sure. There's real power. What that was one of the things that actually brought me to the strong belief of this mindset of ownership. I read that manuscript. And I think a lot of people, when you read the book, there's a lot of things we already know about leadership. We know you've got to build relationships. We know you got to communicate effectively and delegate tasks. Like there was a lot in that book that wasn't necessarily new. What Leif and Jocko gave us was just a simplified framework for how to apply those principles to solve problems. What they did give us that was new, that was monumental for me, was the mindset of ownership, because that was the piece that I think I was missing up until that point. And you kind of hinted at this. One of the really cool moments for me was when I started looking back at decisions that I had made as a leader, mistakes and successes now through this lens of ownership. And I saw so clearly that when I let someone else be the problem or something else be the problem or I made an excuse, those things didn't go well. And yet in the times when I said, nope, I'm going to handle this. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to solve this problem. Those were the situations that I was able to succeed in, to win in. So I looked at my life through this lens now of ownership. And that's where it became so clear to me that this thing is this thing is special. And it allowed me to more focus moving forward on looking at things through that lens of ownership. How can I take ownership of this? And when I do that, when I focus on that, I can more quickly and more effectively see the solutions. Yeah, totally agree. So I kind of, I want to go into, okay, so it's easy to do hindsight sometimes when the emotions are gone, you know, but we want to get better. And you guys talk a lot about how like this stuff is actually really hard. It's very counterintuitive. It is a practice, you know, and when you're emotionally charged, sometimes it does feel so much like the other person and how, what you want right now and how you want it. So this concept of detachment, you guys put some language to something I think we all kind of know deep down as we reflect, but it's the ability to real time when it's happening, like detach yourself from like the good or bad or your feelings in the situation and just like, you know, look at what needs to actually be done to think clearly. Like, can you go, go in on how we can use that as our superpower? Yeah, 100%. And that's what we call it. We say detachment is a superpower because it is our ability in the moment to take that deep breath, take that step back, maybe physically detach from the situation momentarily so that we can actually see the truth of what's going on is an absolute game changer. And the only way that we get good at doing that is by taking the opportunities we get, which are daily to detach and to practice that. One of the things we always recommend to people is let's write down your red flags. Everyone has them. Everyone has these things that are telling you, hey, you're getting emotional. Hey, something's wrong. You're, you know, there, there's emotion behind that. For some people, it's their face gets flush or red, or they feel that sense of anger. Or we have a girl in our neck or a girl on our team, her neck will turn bright red and you can tell when she's feeling stressed or overwhelmed. But we all have those indicators. And so one of those things is being really mindful and writing that down. Hey, what are my red flags? What are the things that are telling me, hey, there's something wrong here. You're getting emotional. And then have a game plan for what you're going to do in those moments. Like I said, for some people, that's just taking a breath. For some people, that's taking a physical step back. Sometimes even just that step back allows you to say, okay, hold on. 
and you put your shoulders down and you can get a better picture of the situation. Sometimes it's removing yourself from the situation. So it's reply all, see answers in caps, all red, and then taking your hands off the computer and taking a walk, realizing that this response isn't going to have the outcome you're hoping for. Or with my kids who love to test me on detachment, it's actually maybe giving myself a timeout from that, realizing that, hey, having this argument with my 13-year-old is not productive. It's also not teaching them how to regulate their emotions. So when I feel myself getting frustrated or I feel myself responding to them in an emotional way, I'll sometimes say, you know what? I'm going to take a break from this conversation because the way we're talking to each other right now isn't going to have a positive outcome. So let's come back to this. And I'll give myself a timeout. And just taking that moment allows us to detach. And in that detached state, we can more effectively see what we need to do to solve this problem. It's when we are not in control of our emotions that we make bad decisions, that we say things we shouldn't have done. And we, we just don't make good choices when we're emotional. So we have to learn how to control it. This is not to say that we're not emotional and our emotions serve a purpose. Our emotions oftentimes tell us that, hey, something's going on here that we need to fix, that we need to focus on but we can't allow them to overcome all of our actions. They have to be they have to be an initial indicator and then we need to be able to set aside those emotions to solve the problem at hand. Yeah. Okay, you said see the truth of what is going on because if you think about it when you're in that emotional state and you do not detach you start telling yourself a lot of stories and those stories, you can believe them to be so true because you're so in the thick of the moment. And that's the one thing that I think is so beautiful about detachment is that at least if you step back for a second and you take a deep breath and you can ask yourself like, is this story really true? Is this what I'm about to get fired up at or what I'm about to yell back at someone or whatever it is? Like, is this really true? Right? Like, is this my real story? And I love that you said that because I think that's sometimes what happens. We get lost in something that is not actually happening to be true. This year, I have realized that the majority of the stories I told myself, it's jaw-dropping to me. They have not been true. I'm like, it's wild. It's unnerving sometimes. So I love this. Yeah. The thing is, is we have to take, we have to take the opportunities we get in the small moments. It's those small moments that matter the most. The moment that I want to like, you know, throw a shoe at a kid because they're about, you know, back, back talking to me or whatever that like, We practice it in those moments. So when really bad things happen and in moments of like really true emergencies or chaos, we are equipped to make those decisions in those moments. I have seen people literally go into complete shock and pause when things are happening in emergency scenarios and chaotic scenarios or really stressful situations and business or at home. They don't know how to handle it. And that's because in those moments, they haven't practiced up until that point, the ability to say, okay, hold on. Let's figure this out. Let's let let's see the truth of the situation and then we can more clearly see the solution. I mean, yeah. I practice this at home all the time, even with Paul, my husband, that's who Paul is. And not that like we're in heated discussions, but you know, like when you're trying to tell them the list that needs to get done and in your head, you're like, this is not the right time. They just got in from work. They're not ready to receive that information. And like I start to talk and I can feel the frustration happening because I'm not getting eye contact. I'm not getting the quick enough response from him. And I'm like, it's He's just not fucking paying attention to me. I'm like, what is going on? Right. But like when you do practice it in those small moments where you're like, he doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about like what I need to get done. What does he think? Like, how does it all get done? And you detach and you take a deep breath and you just say to yourself, you know what? He does want to help you. 
this isn't the right time to have that conversation. It could be as simple as that. Like that's where I have found it most meaningful or sometimes in the small, like what people consider a smaller relationship. So yeah. And there's those lies, right? We get emotional and those lies come out. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about these things. Do we really think that about the vast majority of our spouses? No. In that moment, wasn't the right moment. So when we are detached, we can say, okay, hold on. You know, it's kind of like having an argument at 1130 at night. You're not going to get anywhere. Put that argument on pause. Come back to it tomorrow. You'll both be in a better position to come up with a solution. And that works, you know, business, with kids, with your spouse. It doesn't matter. It, it works in the grocery store with the customer service agent that sucks and is being rude to you. If I detach, most of the time I can de-escalate a situation. But but responding back in a negative way never has the outcome for either person. They don't feel good. I don't feel good. So even in those moments, even if the other person wants to maintain their emotional outburst, if I can control mine, I win. I win. So, you know, if you want to win those little victories, don't let your emotions get in the way. Do you guys know your red? Do you know your red flags? Well, I wrote that down. I love that. I need to start figuring them out more. What are yours? I do know my red flags. I get a legitimate pit in my stomach when I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed. That is a definite red flag to me that I'm feeling overwhelmed in that moment. I need to take a pause. I also uh, will get like, my face won't turn red because I have darker skin, but I will like feel flushed like that red, you know, that, that rush of heat to my face. So those are my indicators. Typically, if I know if one of those things are going on, I I know I'm starting to get pretty frustrated in the scenario or overwhelmed and I need to take a step back. Mine's straight up in the chest. It actually, what people maybe would say is indigestion. It feels like it is really sharp pains, but my mind's not just physical. It's generally some thoughts I have in my head. And so, <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, but it'll be like, oh, this person yeah. just doesn't respect me. This person just doesn't care. And I'm like, detach. I was like, that's like your protective mechanism, right? They do care, like take a step back. So mine is thoughts in the head. And don't worry, they don't come out as words out loud. They stay in my head because I detach. Yeah, check. Right, yep. right. Unfortunately, mine come as words out loud. I would <laughs> think about it. I probably get like louder and not like angry, but like a very direct, not happy tone. And then I start to visit, like, I'm a, you know, people like fight or flight. I am definitely a fighter. I would, I like, I take like a stance. That's good to know. I need to like pull back. Yeah. And listen, sometimes those red flags are indicators that you need to be ready to fight, right? Like that's fine too, but we can't allow those emotions to control us. And this conversation is so great because it indicates that everyone has those red flags. Everyone knows when they're being triggered or when they're being frustrated or when that emotion is starting to rise. And what I'm suggesting people do, and I found this super effective, is to write them down and then come up with your action plan. Hey, when I feel this way, I'm going to do A, B, and C. And I did this with my daughter. My daughter was, you know, she she doesn't like to be rushed. She likes to understand. She likes to go with the plan. And she was feeling frustrated about some things and coming home from school and being tired and whatever it was. And I was going out of town. So we wrote on her mirror, here's your action plan. And the first thing she was going to do was take a break, 
go to go sit in her room when she came home or if she was feeling emotional, take 10 minutes. If that didn't work, number two was eat a snack, which we all feel better when we eat a snack. And then if that didn't work, 10 minutes on the trampoline. And I felt pretty confident if she went through her checklist and took a break, ate a snack and went and jumped on the trampoline for a few minutes, she could better regulate any kind of emotional outburst she was feeling. Even at 10 years old, she can do that. So we can certainly do that as adults. Yeah. What is your action plan, Jamie? You you talked about A, B, and C. What's your A, B, and C when you feel yourself getting there? I am definitely a a breath. I take a breath. I will, you know, Jocko calls it the chin choke and he'll put his hand over his mouth and it's his way of saying, hey, don't talk right now. Like keep your mind open. So I will do that too. I'll put my hand over my mouth, which oftentimes reminds me to like keep it in check. Don't say anything yet until you know that you have something useful to say and that you're not emotional in that moment. And then my other one, I actually learned from my dad because growing up, my dad was the chillest, most calm parent. And I could argue with my mom because she would fight back with me. My dad would not argue with you. I would go to him and say, but dad, and he'd be like, Jamie, I'm not going to argue with you. And he said it in the most loving, calm tone. And he just put his hand up and you can't, you can't argue with that. Like as much as I wanted to, he'd be like, I'm not going to argue with you. And I learned that from my dad. So I use that oftentimes with my kids. Like, I'm not going to argue about this. Or I just take that break. Like, I'm going to go to my room for 10 minutes. I need 10 minutes to get my head right before we have this conversation. So sometimes that removal is important. Love that. Do you have an action plan, Angie? I don't know for sure what at home if it's the boys and I can stay pretty cool at home but if I just feel like I am exhausted and it's been a day and then I'm like well you've only been home for two hours I don't know why I'm getting all worked up however we Paul and I have verbal cues so if I know that I like need a minute and I maybe I'm taking my deep breaths maybe I'm like keep your voice at a tone that is going to be responsive for them that's going to keep the energy cool I literally look at Paul and I'm like I need to tap out and I I do physically remove myself from the room because I know it's escalating even before I've like yelled at them I'm like I don't want to yell at them so yeah I just ask for support in that way or he can say it to me you know what I mean like if he sees it happening he can say hey tap out and I don't I'm not like hey f you right like I don't need to tap out I'm like I need to tap out that's cool I love that I love that I love that too I think I might need to put my hand over my mouth because words just start streaming when I'm mad. <laughs> That's me too. It's my like signal of like, don't say anything right now because you're going to say something you don't want to say. Hold up. And what it gives you is an opportunity to get more intel because if you don't talk, other people will continue to talk and you get more information. So keep your mouth shut and you get a lot more information to make a better decision. <laughs> yeah. That is so good actually because I feel the need to keep talking about my point and I'm missing so much intel and that could clear up miscommunications like you said it's our human nature right you're already thinking about what you're going to say before you say it and so we're not as active listeners as we should be it's one of the most underrated qualities of a leader is the ability to really listen and I've learned this straight from Jocko we will sit in a meeting where we're talking about strategic vision and mission for our company and he won't say anything until we get to like maybe a two or three percent of the meeting where there is a leadership vacuum and he needs to give insight then he'll say something the vast majority of the time he doesn't talk which is weird for a guy who literally talks for a living podcast 
podcast speaking. He doesn't do that within our teams because he knows that every time he talks, he's taking away someone else's ability to come up with a solution or he's potentially giving information that is lacking other viewpoints. And so he's very careful to make sure he's listening and taking in data points. And I found this really effective with my kids and my husband too. If I just don't say anything, I get so much more information that allows me to craft a response much more responsibly. Yeah. yeah so cool. I think that was one of the coolest things at the council to be around Jacko is to watch him completely stay engaged with someone and like never lose eye contact and not say that much and how much value they got out of it. And my big goal there was I was stepping into more of the leadership role in our own business. And I went back and I'd be on our team calls and I, I'm an ideas person. Like I took a Colby test recently and it's just in my nature to want to fix problems and to want to have all the ideas. But I'm like, you don't have to do that. And so I would sit there and I would just stay quiet. Cause I was like, and I'd ask myself, I'm like, Ooh, I want to say that thought. I'm like, do you really need to? And my brain would be like, no. No, you don't, right? And sure enough, like Emily's on the team, like our team has a beautiful ideas and they can execute. And I am so thankful I got to go and be there and watch you guys do it because then I can just stay quiet and watch everything else just beautifully happen in front of me. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I will admit it's not easy. I'm just like you, Angie. I am the one that like, I want to solve the problem. I want to step in and it's my instinct to help my team. It's not to micromanage them. It's because I want to support. I love the creative side of what we do. But I've had to realize even in my role as it's transitioned, that the more that I engage in that way, the less I give my team opportunities to actually step up and learn in the same way that I did. So the question always becomes, if you care about your team, and this works with your family too, if you care about your kids, don't solve it for them. Don't be the easy button. And the more that I just get used to saying, sounds great, execute. The more my team is actually coming up with A, better ideas than I would have had, and B, they feel empowered, which is what I want. And what is any organization needs is for your kids or your team to feel empowered to make decisions. So if you really care about them, let them come up with a plan and then run with it as often as you can. And in rare occasions, I might say, hey, guys, little bit of insight here. Let's talk through this or help me understand this a little bit better. I'm not sure that I fully, you know, grasp the plan. We'll walk through that. But as often as I can, I'm trying to say execute and letting my team run. Yeah. So good. Okay. One more concept I was hoping we can talk about. And then I know you're a busy lady, so we'll, we'll wrap it up. I had never heard any of the combat laws or when I started reading extreme ownership, I was like, well, this sounds like foreign language, but I'm loving what they're putting out for me. <laughs> and so when you talk about cover and move, I love it in terms of business, but I feel like for women and then also knowing that a lot of our women in our world, maybe their husbands travel full time. Maybe they do. Maybe they're single parent moms. You being a military wife, like I know the book didn't come till after your husband was back home. But when you think about cover and move and you think about it from the perspective of women and we need a village, can you kind of talk on cover and move and how we can all use that to like help each other and support each other and not feel any guilt over asking for someone to cover and move for you? 100%. Cover and move is the first law of combat that we teach. And it's based on fundamentally a gunfighting tactic that they use, you know, in the history of military operations. And it's essentially this leapfrog effect that 
two people or two teams would utilize to get from point A to point B, meaning one team, one person has to cover and lay down that cover fire that enables the other person, the other team to get to a better position in which they can now down, lay down cover fire. And you use that leapfrog effect to get to the overall objective. Now, I've never been in a gunfight. So that idea, I, I like the illustration of it, but how that actually plays out in your life is around relationships and recognizing that you're a team and the efforts that you're doing impact the other people on your team. So that means sometimes I have to expend of my resources, my time, my effort, my energy to cover for the members of my team. That could be my spouse, that could be my kids, that could be my teammates in a professional setting. I have to provide that cover so that they can move because the core of cover and move is that if any one element, if every, if any one person on the team fails, the whole team fails. And so when, when I think of it in that way, my husband travels for work, he was in the military, and he's always traveled. So a lot of the home life and, and the responsibilities at home fall on me with our kids, doctor's appointments, dentists, food, groceries, all those things typically land on my plate. And I can either feel frustrated or resentful towards my husband for those responsibilities. Or when I look at it through the lens of cover and move, I can say, hey, this is my my way of covering so that my husband can move. My husband can go out and do the things that he needs to do that also benefit our family, that allow us certain, you know, advantages and 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 allow us to live a life that we we love living. And so like him doing that allows us to be a team in this aspect. So I think of our family as a team. And what's really cool is I've seen this kind of play out as a young wife where those feelings of resentment can be really palatable. <laughs> like they're very natural to feel. And I felt those as a young wife, especially as a military wife, because he'd be gone for six, seven, eight months at a time. And I had to cover everything. And I definitely had those moments where I felt this sense of resentment. And as our marriage has continued, and we're coming up on 17 years of being together, I've seen where, hey, there were long periods where I was the one covering, I was the one holding down the fort and covering for him. But there's been these moments where he's been able to cover for me and it doesn't happen all at once. And it doesn't mean that it's a balanced effort. What it means is that we're a team and we know what the strategic goal is for our family. We know what that is within our business and within our, our professional worlds. And that means that I'm okay and I can reframe my perspective on the things that I have to handle to see that as this is what the team needs. This is what the team needs right now to be successful. It also means that I have to rely on the relationships that I have in that asking for help. That means that, hey, if he's my teammate and I need the cover, I need some cover because I'm struggling, I can communicate that. And I can do that in a way detached from emotion, not being resentful towards him, but just saying, hey, I need your help. And when we uh, apply this idea of cover and move in our marriage, all of that frustration that I feel that a lot of women can feel with handling home, trying to run a business, trying to do all these things can go out the window because I now see it as a support mechanism to my husband, who's my teammate. And we are going to work together towards accomplishing our long-term strategic objective, which is to raise healthy, happy, successful kids. And if we can do that together, even if that means I take on a certain burden of that work, that's okay. That's how I'm providing cover right now for our family. 
Yeah, I love that. It's like a house divided never stands. And it can work to you can work your way out of resentment with that that cover and move tactic. For example, the other morning we've got my route to school that's 30 minutes one way. It's a lot. You could in traffic, it could be more like 45. So if you do that twice a day, it's a lot of time on the road and it's infuriating sometimes, you know. And I found myself as my husband had packed the bags took the kids to school in the morning. I'm walking around the house with the coffee, thinking about all the things he didn't clean up and all the cabinet doors that were like still open. And I'm just like, why couldn't you do this and that and the other? And then I paused for a second. I was like, but what is he doing for you? You know, like he is cover and moving. Like, do you think you could probably like cover and move for him here? Because I would much rather be enjoying coffee than on the road, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, you bring up a good point too. Sometimes it's, keeping perspective of the things that they are doing or recognizing that, Hey, you know what? I think what a lot of women want is we want partners who show up and like see what needs to be done. And then they go and do it. And the reality is my husband wants to do whatever, whatever I need, he will go and do. And I have that instinct. I think a lot of women do of like, but can you just do it? I don't want to micromanage this relationship. I don't want to have to tell you. And then I'm like, but wait, does that matter? Or does it matter that we get the job done? Mm -hmm. And so I've changed my perspective of like, okay, cool. Here's a list of the things that I need to get done. Now, does that mean that I have to micromanage just a little bit? Yes, but that's okay because now he can actually support me in a way that's helpful and useful and I'm not feeling just frustrated. And so it took me a while to get to that point of like, maybe I want something different, but I'm asking him to be someone that he's not. So why don't I just readjust the way that I communicate with him so that we can be successful as a team? And when I when I take ownership of that, we succeed as a unit and we can accomplish the overall goal. Jamie, thank you for saying that. We Paul and I had this conversation all the time. He's like, babe, if you guys just wrote a book of like, hey, here's the code of what we're trying to say, we know. The truth of it is, we do not think like you guys. He's like, I'd much rather you just delegate what needs to get done, right? But then also be cool that it's going to happen on my timeline. Like, I know your timeline is now. My timeline's slightly different, but then we don't keep score right like um you were probably like that was my problem for a while I was score keeping I'm like he's doing this he's doing this he's doing this I'm only doing this only doing this but the truth of it is I wasn't communicating my needs I wasn't asking for someone to cover and move I put unrealistic expectations on myself that I had to do it all I don't right but I can also ask for support and then you said who is your team? You were like, my husband is my teammate. I think we forget there's a lot of people in our life that want to be on our team. If we're just okay and open to ask them to be on our team. Like I know the women in my community before my mother-in-law lived here, I had nobody. And I knew the ones that if something was to happen for the boys or for myself, I knew who would cover and move for me. And I think as women, if we get okay, figuring out who our team is and saying like, hey, I need you and I need you to help me cover and move here we all want to do it but we don't know you need help until you actually ask for it I think that's such a good point when I had my first kid I had so many people my husband was deployed and so you know people would be like oh we'll bring you dinner and I was like no 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 I I was adamant I did not want help it was almost like this stamp of pride of like I don't need you and yet I look back and I'm like man there were nights that I really struggled I had 
all day at work and I'm coming home to a baby and then later to to a toddler and a baby and trying to manage this lifestyle. I remember at one point I had a toddler and I was eight months pregnant and our bathroom flooded. And I'm like, you know, it's our only bathroom. I'm like miserable. I'm hating everyone. And again, I just wasn't willing to accept help. I was like, I'm going to solve this on my own because that's who I am. And I think too often we put that badge on ourselves, this prideful I don't need your help. And I've changed my perspective when it comes to cover and move and how we implement that is that when I act that way, I'm taking away someone else's ability to gain some sense of value in being able to help me. So again, if I think about what I really care about is other people. And so if I put my ego aside and I allow them to help me, people get so much value out of serving one another, out of helping one another. So if I focus on that and I, it allows me to put my ego in a box a little bit to say, yeah, you know what? I could use your help. I am struggling right now. And yes, I'd love it if you could come over and watch my kid for an hour so I could get some things done, whatever it might be. It took me a long time to get there, probably like 12 years before I was at the point of like, okay, I think I need to be more open to accepting help from people. And that's okay to accept help from people. It's actually helping them too. So we just have to change our perspective. Yeah. And if you think about the growth it does for your relationships, like it makes every relationship stronger when you're actually sharing your truth with someone. Yeah. I was just about to say it's relationship building and we're so busy. It's like almost better and easier to do that than go meet somebody for coffee, you know, share your life with them. Well, the older you get, the more value you place on like those relationships And those relationships are really anchored, especially as you get older, in the ways that we can serve one another, even if that's just listening, even if that's just being a support network and being someone that, you know, my best friend, I know I can pick up the call any day and just say, I need a vent. She's like, I'm here. I'm all ears. And she's going to hold me accountable, too. She's going to make sure that at the end of that vent session, we go back to the mindset of ownership. What are you going to do to solve the problem? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Love that. Love that. She's not going to let you stay there. Right. (laughs) Well, you said the badge of honor, and this actually helps us close out really nicely. I think a lot of us have tried to wear that badge of honor. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Corey. You said, Corey said this in one of your meetings. Owning it all doesn't mean you have to do it all. Can you kind of just close us out with like the mentality that women can be like, hey, I will own it all, but it doesn't mean I have to do it all. Yeah, I think that this was one of the best best little phrases that came from one of the sessions that we ran, because I think it's something a lot of women deal with this feeling of you're telling me to take ownership of everything, but I'm already responsible for everything. I already have so much on my plate and I can't possibly take on more. And sometimes people see ownership as that weight, as opposed to what it really is, which is the freedom to actually get things done and solve problems. And Corey responded, she said, listen, ownership is owning it all, not doing it all. Meaning that, hey, when we take ownership of everything, it doesn't mean we now have to do it all. It just means that we implement the principles of extreme ownership, those laws of combat. We rely on those relationships. We simplify the plan. We detach from our emotions and we delegate and we empower other people around us to solve and make, to solve problems and make decisions. And when we do that, 
We don't have to do it all. I can actually put my hands up because I know people are in place to get that job done. And I can only do that through taking ownership and having that mindset first of this is my problem to solve. And I have the skills and the capability to take ownership of putting a solution in place. So owning it all, but not doing it all, not taking on more, just making sure that we apply the principles of extreme ownership effectively. I think that's a wrap. Or unless Emily has more. Well, I, would, no, I just have one question off of that. What <laughs> would you say to people who are like, okay, so I've owned it all, but, you know, relationships are 50-50, right? So, like, does owning it all mean 100% theirs and mine? Or does owning it all mean 50% let go of their side? Like, what would you say to people who get hung up in the, but they still did this to me? Yep. We sit in that space. So often we sit there so often. And the second we sit in that space, we once again, give up any control to solve this problem. It's one of the actually biggest challenges we face in our business and teaching these principles. I remember Dave and I did this full day session and we had talked all day about the laws of combat and ego and humility and detachment. And this woman at the end of the day, during the Q and a with really wonderful intentions, she raised her hand and she was like, okay, but if I've checked my ego and they've checked their ego and we still don't agree, what do you do then? And Dave just started laughing in the most genuine way, not making fun of her, but just laughing with her because we both resonated with that comment because what happens with people is they're like, okay, but I'm taking ownership. Now they need to take ownership. And we get so caught up on what other people are doing. Ownership is not about anyone else. It's about you. So in that scenario, first of all, if two people truly have their egos checked, you're going to find a solution. You're not at odds anymore because the only thing keeping you from finding a solution is your ego. So it's that recognition once again, that our ego is inflating, is impacting our ability to see the truth as, as is our emotions. And so ownership is really about you. It's not about anyone else. And I can, I can tell you on your journey of ownership, you're going to come across people that refuse to take ownership. And that is difficult and hard for us to swallow, but you can't allow Allow them to keep you from taking the ownership in solving those problems that you're facing. So we we have that friction with ourselves. We have that barrier and we always want to use that. But, but, but this happened. And the second we do that, we throw ownership out the window and we relinquish our control. So if we want to really see the power of ownership, we have to take 100% full ownership of everything that impacts our mission. And if we do that, we can see the solutions more clearly. And I try to always remind myself, I'm like, well, they just don't know what I know yet, right? They don't know the power of ownership. They don't know what it's like that if you could take it on fully, how quickly problems could be resolved. And you just kind of meet them where they're at and then in the hopes that what you're bringing to them and them and the ability to watch you process that in such a beautiful way, they're going to learn something from it. Yeah, be the example. That's such a good point, Angie. Be the example. If you focus on yourself and you can you can show people the path of ownership by just showing them your ability to more effectively solve problems. People will ask me all the time, like, well, how do you do this? How do you manage that? How do you handle all of these things? And the answer is ownership every single time. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing is traveling and just listening to conversations. It becomes so clear that this ability to take ownership is not in our human nature. It's not instinctual at all. And, and you'll notice this. If you're out and about and you just kind of pay attention, people are making excuses 
constantly. And I always want to be like, I have the secret. I have the answer. And I can't, it's not about them. It's about me. And the only way that I can impact them is showing them the way and showing them what ownership can give them. Well, that's exactly why we wanted to have you here today, because we do feel like you have the secret and the answer. And I said this this summer in Washington, when we were at the council, I was like, this feels like the only way to live now, you know, and now that you know, like it's a moral imperative to live this way. And like you said, it's not easy to do, but man, is it life changing? And what, and because it's not out there often, what an example it is, like you said, Angie, just to like hear somebody say, you know what? Hey, my bad, all on me. I'm sorry. When somebody says that to me still, I'm just like, damn, this person's onto something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could give you hours and hours of examples where ownership has de-escalated a situation, has changed the outcome of a conversation, has enabled people to come to a, a conclusion. It's it's incredible. And if people just start taking ownership, I promise you, you will start to see the outcome of how people respond in those difficult situations. Not every time, not 100% of the time, but it is a game changer for sure. It's a total game changer. Well, Jamie... Thank you. Is there anything you want to close us out with? Anything at all? Don't make excuses. Stop allowing those excuses to come into your mind. Start looking at every situation, every problem, every challenge as something that you can take ownership of, that you can have control of, that you can solve. And you'll find the answers and you'll find the solutions when you put your ego and your emotions in check and you take ownership of everything. Em, anything else? I think mic drop to that. I can't wait to see what everybody thinks about what they just heard. So thank you so much for joining us, Jamie. It's been awesome. Jamie, where can, if people want to learn more about you, what you're doing at Echelon Front, what Echelon Front is doing, where can they go find you guys? Yeah, echelonfront.com. That's our website. We've got everything up on there or extremeownership.com. You can find a lot of really cool content there as well. On that website, I always like to rep the women's assembly. That's close to my heart, but it's a community of women. We do free online sessions every month. And then we do a live event, which we'll be running our second event coming up in 2024. Super excited about that. And then you can find me or Echelon Front on Instagram. Uh, My handle is Jamie Lynn Cochran. Okay. Do we know we we're going to be at that uh, women's assembly and hopefully our listeners will join us. Do we know where that's going to be yet? We do. San Antonio coming up September 11, 12 and 13, 2024. So really excited to get out to Texas and we've got some really fun things coming uh, to that event following the first event and really wonderful feedback from those attendees. So excited to announce that it's not officially out there yet. You guys are getting the, the, the details early, but it's coming soon. Well, listen, this isn't all about me, but that couldn't have worked out more beautifully <laughs> that I can just drive an hour to get there. Is it going to be at the Marriott? Is that the one on the river walk? No, it's going to be at the Hilton on the Riverwalk, though. The river it's walk. right there. So it's it's a really cool spot for the women that want to make it a girl's trip and come with some friends or colleagues and, and have a fun weekend. That's why we went to San Antonio to kind of make it a fun little weekend. It's going to be a, a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this time. So or maybe it's a Tuesday through Thursday. I don't know. But it's going to be during the week. And then if you want to stay for the weekend and make it a girl's weekend, we uh, highly recommend that. Well, great. I wore my cowboy hat in Scottsdale. I have even more of a reason to wear it in San Antonio. <laughs> Maybe you need to bring me a cowboy hat. That's what that's what needs to happen. Yeah. Or I'm sure in San Antonio, they probably still have the custom hat experience. And that's what we should do and get you one that is just really fly. That's, I'm down. We'll take our whole team there. We'll all walk out of there with some Texas cowboy hats. 
I love it. I love it. Awesome. Okay. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. You were, besides Paul Lingzo and a client, our client, Kate, you were our first guest and we really appreciate having you. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. If you like what you heard, if you can uh, share this with a friend, family, coworker, whoever you think needs to hear this and would be inspired by it, what Echelon Friends doing, we would really appreciate that. And if you can leave us a review as I got really distracted. So this ending (laughs) just kind of went off. But yes, if you guys could leave us a review, we really appreciate it. That's how other women can find the podcast. Bye.